Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. Jess DeCourcy Hines has plenty to share, and that's a very good thing. Both a fiction nonfiction writer, her work has appeared in the New York Times, Newsweek, Ms. Magazine, Literary Hub, and Quarterly West. A Pushcart Prize nominee, Jess is also a writing fellow with Penn Parentis, a nonprofit that supports writers who are also parents. She's the founding library director of Bard High School Early College in the New York City Borough of Queens, where she coordinates a popular guest writer series. Jess and her students have been featured on National Public Radio, discussing their efforts to revise the Dewey Decimal System to be more socially progressive. Now there's an undertaking. Actually, her personal essay about Dewey Decimal Classification is how I first met Jess, a queer feminist who has dated both men and women. Oh, Dewey, Where Would You Put Me? was featured in the New York Times Modern Love column. We're going to talk about that and much, much more. So let's meet and get to know Jess DeCourcy-Hines. Welcome and thanks so much for joining me remotely today. Thanks, Sandy. Great to be here. So... I don't write, Jess. I find it such a contrived act. Was that something that you just did early on? I did, actually. Both of my parents were journalists, and so um, I grew up in a family of journalists, always wrote. Uh, I was actually just told that as a toddler, when people would come over, I'd say, leave me alone. I'm on deadline. (laughs) Those are some of my first words. Uh huh. Your parents were um, print journalists? They were. They were. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And where did you grow up? I grew up in Brooklyn and outside of uh, Philadelphia. So did you know as you were getting older, it was time to apply to college that you wanted to pursue writing as a career? I always did. I did not want to pursue that deadline-driven journalism. (laughs) Maybe as a toddler, I was turned off of it very young. Mm -hmm. Uh, I love to do pottery and clay and to make a big mess, just a muddy mess. I love the studio atmosphere for art, art studios. Um, I always knew I wanted to keep writing fiction, but then over the years, the idea of the clay studio just transformed into a library, um, which is a different kind of studio uh, environment where I think I just love absorbing the energy of people who are making things, thinking, creating. You can almost hear people thinking when you walk into a library. And I love that. So clearly you're a reader as well. Absolutely. So what did you major in in college? So I majored in English. Mm -hmm. Um, I tried to squeeze in the studio art, uh, but it kind of, I was an early college student. So what does that mean? It meant I started a college at 16. Um, Ah. I went to Simon's Rock, which is one of the nation's only early colleges. And now we have Bard High School, early college, It's a whole network of schools. So now there's an urban equivalent that's not residential um, and is actually free, a free college tuition, you know, free college education. So now I work in that system in New York City. Mm -hmm. But I started out as an early college student at Simons Rock. uh, And it's a beautiful, wonderful place, but a little bit of a smaller school where most people transfer after two years. So I finished at Smith College. Ah, in Massachusetts. So Mm -hmm. this is a new concept to me. Uh, Mm -hmm. early college, Mm -hmm. which is accepting students, what, in their junior year of high school or even younger? Yes, they'll start in their junior year. So they typically apply in 10th grade. Um, But for the the model where I work, they start in ninth grade. So they have ninth grade and 10th grade as traditional high school. And then 
they begin their college program um, at the age where they would be juniors. So it's we call it year one and year two college. It's kind of rolled into their junior and, su- and senior year. But they don't go to BART. BART is in upstate New York. Mm-hmm. Well, but they don't physically go to BART in early college because they're in this school in New York City. Yep. But they get a degree actually from Bard College as well as from the Department of Education. And then some of them do transfer upstate to finish their last two years. Other students will, um, you know, they want that full four-year residential experience. So they'll transfer to Brown or Harvard and they'll start over as as a first-year student. But they have that, you know, experience, that rich college experience just when they need it. Just when, you know, high school is starting to drag for them. Mm. Um, It's also really a way to promote equity in education. So students who wouldn't have the chance normally to, you know, have this access to a top-notch college education, they get it, they get it early, you know, really bright and motivated students. Well, personalize that. What was that like for you to leave home at that age? Yeah, it was very exciting. It was, it was, I don't know. I was just drawn to it. I was uh, I was publishing already at 16 just because I always loved to write and my parents really encouraged me to publish. Um, so in publications like Oatmeal and Poetry, like little little magazines mm-hmm. that had really fun names. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a there was one called Merlin's Pen and they had an advertisement for Simon's Rock. So this was pre-internet. And I saw that advertisement in the magazine. And I wrote away for a brochure and uh, it just, it seemed like magic. It just seemed like exactly, you know, what I wanted at that, at that time. And I did the clay studio and uh, a lot of writing and uh, women's studies. Wow. That's just really interesting. And it worked for you to leave home at that age. It did. Although I'm not going to let my daughters do that. (laughs) (laughs) Talk to me about your sexuality. Oh, the playground. Preschool, <laughs> really? Yeah. One of the one of the people who wrote me back uh, from the Modern Love was was my my preschool friend Rachel, and said, "Remember, we got married." <laughs> and I happened to grow up in a church, so not we were not religious. We were somewhere on the atheist spectrum, but we lived in the converted, uh, renovated brownstone church in Brooklyn Heights. And that's, that's actually the setting of my novel that I'm working on. Um, but so growing up in a church, you naturally married your friends. So boys and girls. Yes. So you threw a lot of weddings, huh? <laughs> we did. <laughs> but was it some kind of a struggle for you? Did you feel different, alone, disconnected? Uh, I think so. Yeah, I think so. And I think um, in some ways more so later. I mean, I think it was fairly easy, although I was ancient by today's standards. It was fairly easy at 18, um, being at Smith College at a women's college. It was fairly easy to like girls and date girls. But when I kind of left the women's college and remembered that I like boys again, it was, I think it was actually harder to be in that in-between space. Um, I mean, the, the LGBTQ community is such a beautiful community and so welcoming. And I think, you know, you can be in an opposite sex uh, relationship, but not feel straight. And that's something that's not talked about. Uh, And that's what I'm writing about in my novel as well, because there's a little bit of a taboo maybe that I feel some shame actually in, 
okay, I'm a queer person that I did choose to be with a man. And so I, I, you know, you hear about the ex gay movement or the, you know, people, you know, like those conversion therapies. And of course, yeah, oh God, if, yes. Mm-hmm. If you're bisexual, it just means you like both genders and um, you just, your soulmate is just whoever you fall in love with. And so it can, it be, it's hard to be in two camps or two lives at the same time if you're, you know, you're a monogamous, devoted partner. I prefer the word partner over wife, I guess. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. So I think that actually some of the loneliness happened later. And that that's what led me to write the modern love essay and also to uh, to write a novel about a girl falling in love with a girl, a, a coming of age story, and then also falling in love with a boy and the transition, um, you know, in acknowledging that fluid sexuality. Well, what was that like for you at 19 to come out as gay? What kind of support did you have and what kind of strength did you think that that gave you? Uh, Well, the support, you know, uh, I think, as I mentioned, it's a beautiful, beautiful community. So it was extremely supportive. My friends were extremely supportive. You know, as for my family, my father was almost raised by 20 gay men. (laughs) He he was raised in Boston, a single mother who was a portrait artist and divorced three times. And uh, she rented out her apartments to mostly gay men. She just called them bachelors. Okay. And and she decorated them in a really cool style. So they were very fashionable, um, but not the most practical apartments. She'd cover them in mirrors from top to bottom and like create a disco. (laughs) So she had a very wonderful, even though she probably wouldn't even consciously think of them as gay men. I mean, my father was really raised in a queer family and always had gay friends. Um, so that made it easy in, in some sense. My mother, it was a little harder for her and she was raised Catholic. She was progressive. But I think the hard thing was that we grew up in Brooklyn and then we moved to a small town outside of Philadelphia. And even though we're only 25 minutes from Philadelphia, it might as well have been, you know, a very small suburb. And we just didn't have any role models. Uh, I didn't see any queer people mm-hmm. whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Ellen DeGeneres, that coming out happened when I was, I think, 16 or 17. And that was a huge deal, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was very clear when I was coming of age that you were either gay or straight, one or the other. Right, right, right. There was no in between. And, you know, people would kind of raise eyebrows, you know, people in the neighborhood, if we had heard that a man married to a woman had had past experiences with men, we just assumed, oh, he's not being true to himself. He is, he decided to conform to society after all. What does it matter what I think? I wonder what that must've been like for you to forever have to keep explaining yourself. Mm-hmm. I think I just Why do you owe that to me? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, well, the novel that I'm writing, I, I say... I haven't sent it out for publication yet, but the novel that I'm almost finished with um, did, you know, come together in a way where I realized this is a story um, about someone who isn't explaining themselves, but is more open than I am, maybe. So uh, the novel kind of was a way for me to think about all of this and then become ready to talk about it because I, I I didn't necessarily talk about it. 
Um, friends from 10 or 12 years ago all knew me as queer. Friends from the last 10 or 12 years didn't, unless I happened to mention this ex-girlfriend who I wouldn't always feel like mentioning, you know. In fact, I don't think I know the people I'd consider close friends. I don't know who their partners were before they were with a partner, you know, that I know. So if that makes sense. Okay, so a couple, you know, I'm friends with a couple. I don't know anything about their exes. And maybe that says that we're not close friends. But your 30s are a time, for me at least, where we're totally immersed in having babies, getting our careers started. Right, right. You find the partner who is great for you. I don't tend to rehash the past um, because it's just the present is challenging enough. You're, You're really in the present when you have toddlers. So, but then I realized, oh, I'm, I'm actually a very radical, progressive person. Why am I not out? And it was just working with my students uh, and this novel that prepared me to say, okay, I do really want to talk about this. Is that what the trigger was for writing this very open, honest essay for modern love? Yes. I'm hoping the novel will come out and be in the world. Uh, It's called The Sea Lion, and it is about, I mentioned, a bisexual coming-of-age story. So I had to tell two of my best friends. I said, by the way, I just never, I never talked about it. Um, But I'm, I'm, I have a community of of writers, and uh, a good number of them are actually women married to men who have uh, loved women. And they just helped me to realize that this is, there's a really large number of us uh, and I, I think that there will be readers for the novel because I've gotten so many emails just from everybody since the modern love piece has come out. So many coming out emails. And if I'm in my neighborhood, moms on the playground are coming out to me all the time. It's kind of amazing. Why don't you share for those who haven't read the article or the essay, sure. talk about the catalyst for this and what you're sharing in, oh, Dewey, where would you put me? Sure, absolutely. So I'm a librarian, uh, and I worked with students who really wanted to have the Dewey Decimal System be something that reflected their lives. And we started with changing the way African American history is portrayed, is is organized, and so that was the beginning. But we also worked on queer books, on on reorganizing the queer books in the library. And my students are very brave and bold and just wonderful. So this library work was happening at the same time that I was starting a life. I'll just read the beginning of the essay and give you a little bit of a sense. Uh, When I talk about building a life and building a library, um, I have written about this a few times and at some point would like to write a nonfiction book about it because I think it's rich material. Not everyone gets to build a library. And so it was a really, really cool thing to do. Um, So uh, anyway, I'll begin at the beginning of the essay. As a librarian who has dated both men and women, I couldn't help but think of how my various loves would be categorized by the Dewey Decimal Classification. Stefan was an architect, 720.23, as well as a Californian, 979.4, with eyes like the ocean, 551. Our love felt like a fairy tale, 398.2. I knew I was marrying this guy. At the same time, I felt a pang of loss because I was choosing a side and being a queer feminist was a big part of my identity. 
What would it mean to make a life with a man? How would I categorize myself and us? I didn't have much time to contemplate this back in 2008. I was busy starting a new library from scratch for a public school in Queens. Wondering if Stefan would support my career, I joked to him that my weekends were booked. He smiled and offered to help. Our first excursion took us to a deceased professor's estate in Western Massachusetts, where we spent 14 hours loading 3,000 dusty books into a fleet of U-Hauls to bring to a new library. Shall we do this again next weekend? I said that night. Sure, he said. So it just tells the story of starting the library and the fact that the Dewey Decimal System is very homophobic racist, anti-Semitic, xenophobic, everything. Um, and if you look into the history of the Dewey Decimal System, which I did with several of my students, Dewey categorized LGBTQAI plus people under headings like abnormal psychology, perversion, derangement, neurological disorders. Uh, and then finally, now we're in social problems and services. Mm but we're still social problems. Well, currently, actually that was our very last one. Currently we're under sexual orientation, transgenderism and intersexuality. So- Oh, there's um, some progress. That's some, yes. So some progress, um, but we're still in 305s. Um, so that's the social science section. We haven't moved very far and our neighbors are books on prostitution, pornography, incest and child trafficking. So we don't have the best neighbors in this location. Right. <laughs> and that has to affect you. Um, of course, I don't have books on child trafficking in my school library, so it's not relevant. But if you look at this history, and even on a subconscious level when you're browsing a library, the way that books are placed, it really communicates something to the person visiting the library. But I'm curious, Jess, that whatever the trigger was for you to write this article, did it ever occur to you that you were going to get so personal? Uh, did I know it was going to get that personal? Meaning, well... What came um, first, the Dewey Decimal System or the fact that you met <laughs> Stefan as a queer feminist? Well, uh, so I started the library from the, from the, from the ground up. So all of those numbers were really floating through my dreams. And so I think that um, organizing the system was really part of, it was really part of my subconscious. It was really part of my life in this very deep sense. But it wasn't until maybe 2018 that my students and I really started tearing things apart in terms of reorganizing. Maybe, maybe it was more 2016 I was doing much more queer programming in my library, um, you know, because of Trump um, and just really, really wanting my students to have representation. Um, in terms of this being a really personal story, you know, I, I don't like writing these naked, naked memoirs that really are tell all. Like I have actually avoided that. Um, have, my parents actually wrote some pretty personal things about me when I was growing up. And I actually am pretty protective where I don't want, you know, to put too many intimate details of my life in writing. I, everything that's in this essay, I mean, it has been sent around to everyone I work with, my entire neighborhood. 
I am comfortable with it. And I, I think that's because I'm comfortable with myself. I think being a queer person's not anything, of course, that is, pri- it doesn't have to be private. It can be if you want it to be. Um, I think that maybe it seems vulnerable. I think I, I hear you saying that, Sandy. I hear people say it seems vulnerable. To me, the most vulnerable thing that I think is in there is that I didn't always know who I was so that my label mm-hmm. changed. Mm-hmm. To me, that's actually what I was afraid of people knowing. But the more I talk to people um, about this, and openness kind of breeds openness. You know, once you're open, other people are open with you. Um, there's so many people who have changed their label and shifted and, uh, you know, discovering yourself, it it could take a whole lifetime. And I I was a little ashamed of that because I, I either wanted to be like a totally proud queer person or a totally proud person. I don't know. I wanted Mm -hmm. to, I wanted to be one or the Mm -hmm. other. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's not that I ever pretended. I just, it's just that when I married Stefan, that was my life. And so, the girlfriend didn't necessarily seem to define me at all because that wasn't who I was with. So, but I think the identity part of just saying, you know, actually all these experiences of love uh, define you. And, you know, people might say, oh, if you were only with a woman for four years and you were with a man for 30, then maybe that was an experiment. Right, 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 right. The judgment. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All love is an experiment. Mm-hmm. All love mm-hmm. is. And any kind of leap of faith to make a life with another person or even just share a little time with another person. Um, so any kind of love is, is an adventure. And uh, I, you know, I. I don't know if it's the most personal thing. Um, it is in, in a lot of ways, but I basically, my daughter's on the edge of adolescence. I think that's another reason why I really came out big time. I came out to her and then in the New York Times, I told my daughter, yeah, I am. So I'm bisexual or queer. I don't know which word mm-hmm. I prefer, but I, you know, well, I told her before that I had a girlfriend and she said, what? what? Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> she's eight. And then like, I, and then she forgot and I had to tell her again, um, but I, we we're just getting ice cream at the, uh, soft serve, you know, the ice cream mm-hmm. truck. And I just told her, and then we, you know, her teacher's non-binary, you know, so she is growing up where I think that that was what was hard for me is I didn't have representation and she has so many different, you know, people in her life who are queer. Um, and I think even just knowing, a friend of mine who's a single mother by choice and just hasn't wanted to partner. Right. That's another, that's another life. I just want her to know all the possibilities. There's really a lot of shame that people feel in just not taking the, you know, the traditional route, but there are so many different, you know, ways to live and love. And, um, I just want, you know, I just want self-acceptance for whoever she becomes. And I have two daughters, so whoever, but the other one who's two, I can't even picture anything, right, you know, right. for her. But, but do uh-huh. you see this essay as a public service? That might not have been what was the catalyst, again, to use that word for you, but do you see it as a public service? Oh, thank you. That's, it's an honor to think of it that way. Thank you, Sandy, for saying that. Uh, I do think it's a corner of the queer community that hasn't been discussed as much. Um, 
you know, I felt some worry that there's so many worthy corners of the queer community. And I am, I do have heterosexual privilege and I'm white and I'm, you know, middle class. And, and there are so many other voices in the queer community that need so much, you know, attention and, you know, especially the transgender and gender nonconforming and um, people of color. Those, those voices really need to be in publishing and they really, really need to be, um, you know, given attention. Um, but then the voice of a woman who is married and sometimes just feels out of place socially because she's queer and she, it's invisible, you know, to other people, right. uh, or she doesn't feel like she could be two things or have two identities at the same time. I think that was a story that really resonated with people. I've been flooded by emails. Um, so, you know, I think that this idea that you could really mourn the queer community if you partner with an opposite sex person and you really miss it, you know, and maybe you feel some guilt and shame that you're not experiencing that homophobia that you did before. I mean, I certainly did. And I was, you know, I had scary things happen to me and I had discrimination and I experienced all that. And then I left that and I didn't experience that anymore. And I was, you know, showered with approval um, and, and, validation, my mom was so, and validation. Yes. My mom was so happy. And what did she think it was uh, just a, a fling or a phase you were going through? Well, through writing the article, we finally talked about it again. And now she's calling me bisexual again because I'm calling myself that. I almost felt like I, I had two phases that, you know, a door slammed and it was shut and it wasn't inside my heart. But um, I put my rainbows away. I didn't want to, you know, I felt sad. I, I felt sad to look at the rainbows. And then during the pandemic, all the children were hanging the rainbows in their windows um, in my neighborhood to help people feel less alone when they had to be quarantined. And you take a walk or you take the kids on the scooter and they would look at the rainbows in the window. And I, my heart felt so happy. And then I got a rainbow doormat for right outside my door and I let the rainbows back in. So it, it, it's kind of an evolution in a way, isn't it? And that you're always learning and feeling the political as well as the very personal, because you really do take your clothes off in your essay. What seems to you the most personal part of it? That's a really interesting question. I, I find that so many of the modern love essays are that just to begin with, that, that, that the writers are putting themselves out there in a very different kind of way. And that's the attraction that one has for the, wow, listen, look at this, look at her. You know, let me just read something towards the end of your essay. My school library now contains 20,000 volumes. Like my relationship with Stefan, it's ever-changing, always being recatalogued. Becoming parents has been our most beautiful reclassification of all. Our daughters, now eight and two, have truly shown us the limitlessness of love. These days, our marriage is as capacious as a library, holding everything under the sun. It holds inside jokes, lying side by side, laughing in the dark. It holds pregnancy losses, my father-in-law's Parkinson's, and dementia. It holds hospice. It holds our toddler's giddy pearls of laughter. It even holds my queerness, a rainbow sparkle dusted over the overflowing shells of our life together. You're sharing who you are, who is not 
what I am, but it doesn't matter at all. Hmm. Yeah. So that, so to you, that feels very intimate that, um, that paragraph that that's the end of the essay. So yeah, that it takes you into a marriage. I think probably writing about a marriage is, it is personal. Yes. But I, I, it's not, it wasn't even so much that it was, it was making the, you know, the circle of how the article Mm -hmm. started, how the essay started and how you covered a lot of ground here. It put a different light on this that you're a queer feminist, hey, great, whatever, you know, but but the struggle that you had with that is really interesting. And how that need of feeling, or maybe you didn't, but having to explain yourself all the time. I don't have to do that. Why do you have to lug that rock up the hill like Sisyphus? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I wonder if that, why you don't see what you wrote is not a public service. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, I'm not doing that to Uh, defy you. I don't, I don't, (laughs) to me, it's just so obvious. My hope is that we can all just become more comfortable, you know, with ourselves, um, however we identify. I think, I think that is my, that is my hope. Um, And I think that's why I'm writing the novel as well, because I, I'm trying to figure this out, I guess, Uh, because I, you know, I had, I had a, a sentence in the essay that we ended up taking out that had to do with, um, you know, if you're a woman who's married to a man, but you have loved women in the past, it forever changes you. It was, it was a sentence like that, which, you know, didn't need to be in the essay, but I think that's probably what my, um, novel is exploring. How does it, how does this change you? How do you, um, you know, if you're if you're on both sides, if you've loved men and women, or maybe you have loved more than two genders, how does that how does that change you? I have had a few people reach out to me who just said, you know, I do pass as straight, but I'm not, and it's just wonderful to feel seen. Your essay gives people permission. Yes, yes, I hope so. I hope so. And then some a phrase was kind of going around the internet with the essay "Rainbow Sparkle." Because I end the essay by saying that there's a rainbow sparkle dusted over by marriage. And people are using that phrase now. I think that, you know, that there are so many shades of the rainbow. Um, I guess I would say, yeah, that I have rainbow sparkle because I'm not... I don't want to say I'm not as queer as other people, (laughs) but I, I live a little bit more in a straight world but I have that rainbow sparkle to me and um, it's a bond that I have, you know, often if I just bump into moms at the playground and they're women's college graduates or soccer players or something, even if I see husbands, I just, I don't assume anything about anybody. I, I tend to feel that bond and that just being open, uh, you know, I think some people it might be overwhelming or threatening if they are, you know, having trouble with it, but I think I'm completely at peace, um, and monogamous and, um, you know, but it's just nice to be an integrated person mm-hmm, and just mm-hmm. to be, uh, just to be honest. It, it opens the doors to so many other kinds of honesty, you know, where I've been able to help more students this year, um, since coming out and one of them won an LGBTQ scholarship that I nominated wow. her for, mm-hmm. uh, 
And, you know, I don't think that would have necessarily happened. I wouldn't have known her well enough to nominate her if I hadn't done this queer author series Mm -hmm. at my school. And then, you know, mention that I'm queer, you know, so I think being out as a teacher was something that I always was, you know, I had a girlfriend and I was out as a teacher, but then I didn't want to be out, you know, as a teacher and a librarian, I didn't really want to be out being a woman married to a man. I just thought that would be too confusing for people Um, or maybe take away from other queer teachers experiences. Mm -hmm. But uh, the student who I nominated identifies as bisexual and actually read the essay and had said that she had so many of the same challenges and feelings that I did um, just because she's, you know, I think uh, like, like bisexual students that I talk to, uh, I think, you know, they'll have a boyfriend and then people don't think of them as queer anymore. And, you know, that identity shift. Um, that must be exhausting. <laughs> I guess it is. I guess it is. And not knowing what reactions are going to be from different people and the judgments and whatever. I just, wow. (sighs) Yeah, I I, I like (laughs) the word exhausting. You're putting yourself out there. And that's not a bad thing to do in terms of exposing and showing why a rainbow is a rainbow. Right. And I think, I mean, it's okay to confuse other people (laughs) as long as you know who you are. Mm Um, I mean, I came out three times. I came out as liking girls. I came out as liking boys again, although I, you know, people forgot I did. And then I came out as liking both. (laughs) Where's your husband fit in all of this? How did he feel about the article? He was really happy. Um, So this was his second time appearing in the New York Times this year. (laughs) I wrote wrote a piece about turning 40 and mazes and life decisions. And um, it's in the crossword puzzle section. They have a really cool um personal essay column edited by Deb Amlin and so I I wrote about meeting him and and the maze of life and then I wrote this one in writing about writing about my maze I wrote about you know life decisions I almost wanted to put a sentence in there about being bisexual but then I thought that's not a decision um or you know that's not a choice choosing a man I just chose the person um but so so that kind of prompted the second essay uh but he you know we hadn't really he knew about me from the beginning but kind of the way that like with your spouse you don't necessarily rehash your past relationships or breakups Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh depends I mean maybe some people Mm do uh but I didn't talk about either ex either of my significant exes with him and I'm not in touch with them. So he didn't really, you know, he didn't, it wasn't something that we talked about too much. So actually the essay has been a good opportunity for us to talk about this part of my identity. And, you know, my queer author series has been a big part of our lives for several years. So um, I don't know how, to, I don't know how to describe it. It's, it's been good. It's for worked. Us. It's, been it's very just, in other words, it's good. worked. It's kind of just another kind of openness. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, that sometimes I don't know how to talk about, um, some of the ways that homophobia has really affected me or hurt me, um, with him and maybe don't always know how to talk about how being a woman has shaped me and that things that he might not understand about being alone, uh, you know, on a street at night and being Mm -hmm. scared or just different traumas that sort of reverberate through your life. 
or even just, you know, childbearing and the effect that that has on like, you know, I think with an opposite sex partner, there's a lot that you really can share and, and like communicate, like translate over the divide of gender yeah. so mm-hmm. that they understand. Mm-hmm. So I actually think that talking about the, some of the really painful aspects of coming out to my family, talking to him about that has been really helpful. And I, I used to kind of think like, okay, I came out, that was hard, but okay, now I'm with a man. So I, like, I don't deserve to feel sad about that anymore. I don't, no one's, no one's judging me in that way anymore. So I don't deserve to mourn that or um, be upset about that. But actually, it's a big part of my life. And that's what I'm writing about for my novel, my coming of age story. So I think my husband knows me better now. And maybe just in terms of sexuality in general, I think, you know, I really want to help young people feel comfortable and have these conversations. And I want my daughters to grow up really differently than I did. So it doesn't matter if it's queer sexuality, straight sexuality. I don't care. I just want to have like a family that's open and not afraid. Well, that was something I wanted to pick up on. How wonderful that you work with young people. And that you're exposing them and making them think and that and that you provide for them a safe space. That's big time, Jess, because that even though it's 2021, so what? You know, we still have a lot of catching up to do. And I can't imagine, again, what a safe harbor you must be for your students. I, you have to own that, Jess. And if you don't, you should. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I try. I wish I had done more earlier, but um, yeah, libraries are beautiful, beautiful places. And I did hear from an alum who said that she was one of three out queer students. Let's see, back in 2008 or nine. And um, she just said, oh, your library really was a safe space. And she and her friends uh, tried to have a sleepover in the library and they tried to, <laughs> I was turning out the lights and they were whispering and hiding in the stacks. And <laughs> I really wanted to let them stay over, <laughs> but I couldn't. Um, and, uh, you know, I was feeling, I was newly engaged or married to a man and really just had tunnel vision of just, I have to make this relationship work. I'd had a number of failed relationships and I loved this guy to death. And I, donated all my Alice and Bechdel oh, comics, sure. the dykes to watch out for. Fun home. It was mm-hmm. a, all of those beautiful books to the library. And, you know, there was a sadness that I felt that I was turning a page over, but uh, all those books went to the students. And, um, you know, I think even though I didn't come out to them, I think they probably got a sense uh, at least that I was open. And, you know, I've had a lot of transgender students um, who I've known by different names and different pronouns, and they're just fantastic people. And I always, you know, that's one of my passions is uh, LGBTQ literature. So it's it's really fun. I think just because I just love this idea of people trying to figure out their truth and not just for sexuality, but just anything. But the LGBTQ story is really about that. Like, who am I? What, you know, and love, love is the most beautiful thing to write about. Mm. So I think that's why I love that kind of literature um, or love stories about people who are kind of, you know, not usually together, (laughs) you know, surprising pairings. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Actually, I think that's a perfect way to end. 
you know, on that kind of optimism and that support and love. Thank you. I've enjoyed this so much. Thank you. Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein.